I admired this person. This was somebody I had listened to them speak. I'd read some of their work and their books. Um, I was very excited to listen to them speak at a conference. It was a Christian conference. So I was just thrilled. Do you ever have that where you have somebody you're like, I admire that person so much. I just want to go listen to them or I want to listen to that podcast and just connect. And especially as it dealt with my faith and wanting to be further along, wanting to be further along in my walk with Jesus. I look at Acts, I look at the book we're in and I say, I want to be further along. I want to grow. I want to experience that. And so this guy kind of represented that for me. I watched him, I listened. And so he got up to speak and he delivered. I was riveted every word. I was like, this is so good. Sometimes, you know, and, and when you speak a lot, you kind of know the things that you do that are things you want to fix. Um, I listen to myself sometimes and I'm like, oh my gosh, quit saying that. Quit waving your hands around. All, you know, just, you have these things that you know about yourself. And so you're listening. And so when you hear somebody who doesn't have that stuff and it's like every word is just precisely chosen and it's beautiful language and you're just, everybody's glued. I, it was one of those conferences where you could go and talk to them. And so I got up afterwards and I got in line to speak to this guy. And I was like, this is gonna be great. I walked up to him and, and I fumbled over my words, but basically I said, I just love what you said. And, it, it, and I read some of your book and it just, I, it was one of those where you're just like, I'm young, I'm immature, I don't know, but I, man, I connected with Jesus listening to you. And he could not have been more cold and quick and dismissive of me. I felt outside, excluded, common, ordinary. I wasn't important enough for him to take a long time. And it's a good word, common and ordinary. If you did not get to listen to Pastor James last week, I encourage you to. He covered what is my life verse, Acts 4.13, which says this, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, ordinary, they were astonished. And they said, these guys have been with Jesus. Ah! <laughs> They've been with Jesus. I picked that verse up when I was in high school and I was like, that is the one. That's what I want. I want people to look at me and to recognize the commonness and the ordinariness of me by myself. And then to say, but you know what? He's, he's been with Jesus. He's been with Jesus. So as we look at Acts this morning, we're in Acts chapter four, verse 23 is kind of where we'll start. I think there are a lot of people who are looking at Peter and John, same way I was kind of looking at that guy that was speaking, thinking, whew, man, look at how amazing they are. I mean, we know it's Jesus, but look at how amazing. And I just want to be there. I want to, there's a lot of new people. There's a lot of people who maybe they're brand new to the whole walking with Jesus thing. And so they want to know how to do it. How can we be bold like them? How can we see God do amazing things through us? It's kind of my thought too. And I look at their lives. I look at Peter and John and it's, it's a little bit like Mount Everest. You look at it and you're like, there it is. I probably should climb that. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb it. I'm going to do it. 
it costs like, now I think it's probably like seventy to $80,000 to climb Mount Everest. You pay somebody to take you up there, they'll do it. They're like, sure, we'll take your money. You're there for like months because you got to get acclimated and do all this stuff. People die every year climbing Mount Everest. And so I look at Peter and John and I look at the church in Acts and I'll, I'm honest to say, I wish for these experiences. I want to feel this. I want to experience this, but it looks like Mount Everest to me. It looks almost impossible. So Lord, how do we do this? How can it happen? Sometimes Jesus has to shake things up. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, context. The guy was healed in the name of Jesus. The religious people are mad about it. And they have told them, Peter and John, anybody associated with them, stop talking about Jesus. Here we go. So this is then, after that has happened, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and told them what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They told us to stop. And when this group of people heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in the whole world, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, back in the Psalms, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against, and the rulers gathered set them against the Lord and his anointed. And you know what? Actually, in this city, Jerusalem, they were gathered here against your holy servant, Jesus. I don't know if you see what he did there. He just connected Lord and Jesus, the God they're talking about in the Old Testament, in the New, and he says, they have come against your holy one, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, even the people of Israel. And look at this verse, to do whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place. So think about what he's saying. The cross, the crucifixion, the whipping, the mutilation of Jesus' body, the unjust condemnation to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they went back to their friends. They'd been threatened. And they said, hey, here's what happened. They told us we better stop or else. Stop or else. And it wasn't just, uh, they told us not to, but we're going to. It was stop or we're going to hurt you. You're going to be killed. And we know from the New Testament, every disciple except for John, who would die in exile on Patmos, what happened to them for following Jesus, for doing what he asked them to do? Killed. Every single one of them. So this is not a little threat. They come back and they say, hey, here's what happened, everybody. How would we respond with this kind of thing in our current time. Let's say some people from here went out and actually tried to talk to some people about Jesus and they came back into church midway through and instead of doing this, they came in and they're bleeding and their face is swollen. One of them's kind of limping in. We would be like, what happened? And we would say things like, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. We'd probably be afraid a little bit that it might happen to us. And we would say, you know what? We probably need to be careful about how we talk about Jesus. How we do this whole Christianity thing because look at what they might do to us. 
Maybe we could do an indirect approach. You know, maybe we could just send something on Facebook to people in the region. You know, how can we avoid that? You know how they responded? They said, let's pray. Let's pray. In their prayer, look at the first highlight here, sovereign Lord. If you want to spice up your prayer life, (laughs) how about that? If you want to elevate your prayer life, instead of just starting with Jesus, you know, it's not a matter of like saying the right words, but it's a matter of what you mean behind them. Sovereign Lord. When we say the word sovereign, who used the word sovereign this week at work? Nobody. We don't use that word. So how do you remember what it is? Take the last half of it, reign. King's reign. That is what he's saying. You are the king. You made everything. Their response to threats is to say, Jesus is the king. He is in charge. Psalm 2 is the the verse that they connect. Now, I love this because I had a youth pastor who somehow, so I'm a senior in high school, I'm an athlete, church is, a church is fine, okay, as a high school, church is fine. I go, it's fun, I get to play basketball after youth group. That's why I'm, you know, he somehow talked me into coming to church in the middle of the week at 6.30 in the morning. I don't know how he did it. And I would sit with him and it was another friend and we would open the Bible and we would pray and we would memorize scripture. 6.30 in the morning for a high schooler. And I didn't learn a lot of verses, but I learned this one. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, sit in the seat of sinners. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night and he will be like a tree that is firmly planted by streams of living water. Its leaf does not wither, its fruit is there. And the wicked though, they're just like the chaff that blows away. Now, I don't wanna pretend that so you all think like, wow, he knows a lot of scripture. No, I don't. Okay, I'm like you, like, man, where is that book? Open the index. I need tabs. Anybody have tabs? You know, okay, so that's okay. I don't know a ton, but I know that one. And can I tell you what has happened over the years? That verse, that psalm shows up in my prayer all the time. All the time, because I know it. And I'll be facing something difficult and I'll say, Lord, I need to abide in you. I need to believe what your word says. I got to meditate on it. I got to sit in it. I want to be fruitful in this time. I want to be planted. I am planted. See what I mean? So that's what they do. They say, hey, Psalm 2, that's, that is this. That is this. You ever have anybody pray like that? No, usually we're like, Lord, the kings of the earth and the Gentiles are you know, coming together against you and we just praise you and it's just, no, they're fired up. They're like that, that what they said, what David said through the Holy Spirit, it's happening right now. It actually just happened. That Lord is this Lord. That God is this God. And they're encouraged. They're in a place where they're like, you Lord are in charge. They are praising God for persecution. When was the last time I did that? Never, never. When was the last time you did that? I don't know. I won't answer for you, but maybe never. We don't do it. We don't say, yay, you're in charge, Lord. We say, the Lord is in charge. I know, right? 
But they're praising God for persecution. And verse 28 is incredible, if you think about it. What are they doing? They're doing whatever you want them to do. Whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. Phase two of spicing up your prayer life. First, sovereign Lord. Second, Lord, this was horrible what just happened. I lost my job. My family member is sick. This person is driving me. This is awful. My kids are off the rail. They don't even want anything to do with you. Lord, you're in charge. And I know this can be worked within your plan. That's, that's a new, that's a whole new, that's a whole new level of praying, isn't it? It is for me to mean it. I know to say it, but to mean it. Have you ever considered that when these things happen in your life, your family, our nation, the world, that it just might be God's sovereign will to move your heart to love him more, to get other people to love him? This is how to pray. This is how to pray when we're facing difficult things. Their their posture of their heart is worship and submission to the real king. They're saying he's the king and they help us to respond. And so let's do it. Our prayer, one of the things we can say is, Jesus, I trust your hand and your plan. I trust you. You made the stars. You made everything. You spoke mountains into existence. I can trust your hand and your plan in my life. The sun still did its thing this morning. It still came up. As I woke up, I've just realized this about the winter. One of the things I like about the winter is it's quiet. You get up and it's like, I'm just like, you all, just chill. I know other people are like, oh, I love the birds and they're singing and it means we're here finally. We skipped spring again, you know, whatever. <laughs> but you, you made it all. I can trust you. I was chatting with Aaron Lawler, one of our missionaries in London, just a couple days ago, and he was talking about Ukraine. And we were just lamenting the difficult, awful stuff that's happening. But then we also agreed together. This is kind of what they do. There's a togetherness here. We said, you know what, though? God is moving. He's moving in the world. Of the millions of people that were driven out of their homes, do you think maybe on the way out of Ukraine, there were some intense conversations about what really matters with families. You better believe it. People saying, you know what? Okay, we lost our house. Okay, we lost this. Maybe we lost a family member. Hey, you know what? Let's, let's make sure our hearts are in a good place with God. <laughs> let's talk about real things. This is making, and we've done this in our history too. We sometimes press, you know, snooze on the alarm quick. But when things happen in our nation or we've gone through difficulties, our first instinct, even if we don't want to, is to say, what's, well, let me talk. I think I need to talk to God about this. And then we, you know, we talk ourselves out of it. But same thing. We do this. Historically, when hard things come, when persecution comes against the church, guess what happens? It grows. Every time it expands and grows. People say, you're going to come at us? Guess what? We're going to love him even more. We're going to pursue him. Your first prayer to Jesus, maybe if you don't even know him. 
I know the normal one is just to say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I recognize that you love me and I think I need that and that's good. And that's a good prayer. That's a good thing to start with. But maybe your first prayer needs to be, you know what? I've been super uncomfortable and not satisfied with my life and feeling very empty. Is this you? Is this your hand? Is this your plan? Are you, are you putting your plan on me? That's a good prayer to start with. That's a prayer, by the way. You're talking to him. Is this you, God? And then say, maybe I need to think about what you did for me and what it means that you love me. God works from the struggle to bring life and beauty. So this group can sense a subtle shaking, just a little rumble right now. Part two of their prayer starts in 29. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak <laughs> your word with all boldness. We want to keep speaking. They threaten. We want to keep speaking. While you stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed this, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they're under threat of persecution. And just imagine if it's us. So Lord, look at their threats and now let them have it. Make their life a living hell. Oops, not supposed to pray that, am I? But that's what we want. When it's somebody that's done something to us, threatened us for being a believer, threatened us for following Jesus, we want to say, God, get them, get them. Because I know you're right, and they had their chance. They had their chance, and they're not. These people, Lord, give us boldness to keep speaking. Give us courage to continue to obey. Verse 29, grant, give a gift to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness, not to wipe out our enemies while you stretch out your hand. You keep doing your thing, Jesus, for sure. Heal, bring wonders and signs. And that was God affirming the ministry, showing this is real. What I'm saying is real. But Lord, give us boldness. He answers them, verse 31, and he shakes the place, physically shook the ground and the buildings that they were hanging out in. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what they did? They asked for boldness to speak. And guess what they do? They speak. They keep speaking the word of God with boldness. So uh, my wife grew up in California. They have earthquakes. I grew up in Tennessee. We do not. And so when we first got married, she was telling me about earthquakes, but she really, really wanted me to feel one. So we were visiting her parents one time and they had this thing. It's like rain for them. An earthquake is like rain. We'd be like, oh, look, it's raining. It's an earthquake. And so in the middle of the night, I'm in bed and I leap out of bed and it's like, whoa. I'm like, oh my goodness. And what they do is they go into the hallway and they stand under the doorway. And usually they stand there and they just, their eyes are closed and they're waiting for it to be done. They're like, good night. I'm like, this is crazy. It was wild. It physically feeling the building shake. These people, there was a real thing that happened. It was a physical moment of shaking. Doesn't mean it always is going to happen, but it did here. God was saying, yeah, I hear you. I'm answering. 
and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Was this the first time they were filled? It says they were all filled. So Peter, John, the disciples who've been walking with them, we already saw the Holy Spirit fall in Acts chapter 2. Is this the first time? No. Can you be filled again? Scripture says, yeah. Not that you're missing something. And here's my layman's understanding of what happens. When you ask for Jesus and you say, I want to know you, I surrender, I need you, my sin has overwhelmed me. God says, you got it. Fills you, seals you. You get all of the Holy Spirit. It's not fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's fruit. You get all of it. And so when you want to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the Holy Spirit works through you. You're just a branch. And so you don't even have to go, pop, here's an orange. He just does it. He just does it. It comes out in your life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's God working through you. It's not this thing that's out there. So what's happening when you're filled? What did Jesus say to the woman in John chapter 4 when he offered her a drink that would cause her not to be thirsty again? She's like, give me that water. He said, I'll do better. I'll give you a fountain. I'll give you a spring on the inside that will never run out. What's he talking about? The Spirit. And so I think what happens, and there definitely there's receptivity. There's our part of putting ourselves in front of the Lord to say, God, fill me today. Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what it actually is in the language? If you go back, it's be being filled with the Spirit. All the time. You need to be filled. You need to be filled. And so I think a better way, at least for me to understand it, is that it's this fountain that I got inside of me. And then I ask for filling and the Lord's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I'm sure. And it's like, and he takes over and fruit's popping out and he's doing his thing. That's a beautiful picture because this is what's happening to them. And Peter and those guys already have the Holy Spirit. It's not like they need him again. And so God comes and fills. And so whether it's turning on the spigot or speaking to the, I don't know what it is, but he's filling them. They're sensing something. There's an awareness of the presence of God in their life. And it brings boldness. They ask for it, they get it. What is boldness? I think we have a misconception of boldness. I think we think sending a zinger on Facebook or Twitter is boldness. This person doesn't think what I think, so post. Ooh, bold for Jesus. Like it just, it's, it isn't. I don't think it is. How about the guy on the street corner that has the sign, and I've seen him, all that matters is you're going to hell. Now, I don't want to judge that completely because I know sometimes there's a beautiful motive that just says, hey, I've just got a scripture verse here. If you want to talk, I'll talk. And people have, and people have responded. And so, but is it what they're asking for? Are you looking for a moment where you finally get the courage to go up to your coworker in the middle of a break and you stand there and you're at the Keurig machine in the break room and you press the button and you go, you know, I just wanted to see, what do you think about God? Do you think, we're, do you think there's a heaven or a hell? No. Okay, fine. <laughs> I feel so bold, Lord. That was hard for me. Maybe next year I'll try it again. What does boldness look like? So 
In another passage, Paul says this, be filled with the spirit. Huh, familiar language. Be filled with the spirit. Be being filled. Sing to one another. Speak to one another with hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. What? Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is this like Hamilton sing, like musical kind of interaction with people? Is that what we're supposed to do? I don't think so. Now, he's definitely talking about us singing here. And I told the first service, and it was great listening to you guys too. I had a guy growing up in a Baptist church, get him from the South, and I can go into this accent anytime I want to, but I don't. I keep it back here in the calm Midwest dialect. But he used to lead worship. His name was David Grant. You'd meet him. He's like, hey, I'm David, David Grant. He'd sing and lead, and he'd listen to you sing, and he'd go, hmm, good singing, y'all. Good singing. And so I love listening to you sing, and it's for sure, sing and make music in your heart. Sing to one another, sure. We sing together. We strengthen one another when we sing worship songs. But Paul is asking for you to do more. Boldness is connected to how you speak. And if it's not Facebook, if it's not the sandwich board on the corner, if it's not the one awkward moment a year that you go and talk to a coworker, what is it? Sing and speak to one another in songs. And I, I was reading a guy, his name is Alan Noble, and he said this. He said, this requires cultivating a hymnic or singing type of speech that derives itself from the Old Testament Psalms, like learning how to speak as if you're singing. I read that line and I was like, what are you talking about? Do you know if you ever do that with writing? Sometimes I do that and sometimes I throw books, but now I have a Kindle, so I don't do that anymore. But you know, like, what are you talking about? <clears throat> and he said, where we speak to one another in the language of the spirit. Oh, when you read the Psalms or you listen to a song, it isn't how we talk to each other, is it? Like there are things that are written, they're poetic. There's metaphors, like the, the one I mentioned in Psalm 1. What's he talking about? Trees and rivers and leaf, you know, blooming and wickedness and chat. Like there's all, there's metaphor and there's pictures. There's creativity, even in the way you speak to somebody. And so when you have a Psalm, and I think this is part of it, it's learning to listen to the spirit, talk to people. I think what it requires is this long obedience to love people. Doesn't mean you won't have a moment where he's just calling you to say directly the direct truth. Here it is. Just say it. Bullet points, go for it. But we're more akin to wanting the bullet points, aren't we? Let me just give it to you straight. Bam, bam, bam. So let me give you an example. When I asked Lisa to marry me, I didn't have a sign that said, marry me or else. <laughs> I didn't just put the, the, the points. Here's, we've had this relationship for these years. I think we'd be great. Will you marry me? No. I labored over what I would say. There was angst in my heart of saying the right thing because I knew I had an amazing woman that I was in a relationship with. I knew that. And there was a depth to her and a beauty to her. And so what I said mattered. And I didn't want to be sappy because I knew if I was like, oh, just so you complete me and blah, 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 you know, Lisa would be like, no, <laughs> no. 
We're not, no, because we didn't have that. We had, there was a depth. And so I knew what I was going to say. I worked on it. I knew when I was going to say it. I knew where I was going to say it. There were no cameras. There was nobody else watching. This is 1994. We didn't have phones, at least these phones that we walk around with. And so it was important that I got it right. It was Lisa and me and the Holy Spirit. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And so it was going to be at Huntington Beach. It was going to be at night. And I was so nervous. We're driving over. Lisa's driving. And I'm in the passenger seat and I had green shorts on. Don't ask me why, but green shorts. And I put the ring in my pocket without the box. So halfway over, I'm like this. <laughs> Shoot. And I do something when I get nervous. <clears throat> so I'm like Tasmanian devil over there who's messing with his pants. And I think Lisa's like, just get this over with. <laughs> So there's a lot of thought that went into it. There, was, there were a few years that went into it. It wasn't just, here are the facts. And you want to know what I said? We got down to Huntington Beach, lifeguard station number 16. We walked down there and I got on my knee and I said, Lisa, totally flubbed the whole thing. I said, let me start again. Lisa Michelle Sandy. I've decided that I can live without you. Pretty, pretty good, right? <laughs> I worked on that. But life would be much better with you. Will you marry me? So I put effort, time, heart, love. It's important. People hearing about God's love for them and the potential of their eternal future is as important, if not more. It needs a different kind of boldness. It needs a commitment, a long-term approach. So when we think about what they prayed and what they could have prayed, and honestly, what we would have wanted to pray about the threats, get them, Lord, just take them out. I think it should move us in our prayers to say what? Jesus, I wanna be bold, but not that kind of bold this other kind of bold. Boldness that is Holy Spirit language. I'm gonna to learn to talk to people that way. I wanna love my coworker who doesn't know you, who still doesn't want anything to do with you. And I wanna keep loving them and I wanna take opportunities to pray for them. And I wanna see you win their heart. I don't care how long it takes. I will be bold for you. See the difference? I wanna be bold. You're gonna see in the book of Acts, a lot of different ways of talking about the love of God. And you're gonna struggle to pin down the way. You know why? Because there isn't the way. There's how God has made you and your personality, the people you're gonna meet, the way you interact with things. Some people are very didactic. They love that and they meet, they end up having friends who are that way too. Imagine that. <laughs> and then they talk to, but others, they're going to be more metaphor and song and need you to be with them. And sometimes you just to be present with them and doing things for them. So it's more than just words, though. It's more than just words. Let's look at the last few verses. Acts 4, 32 through 37. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great 
grace was upon them all. That sentence, great power, great grace. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, what? And brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, so here's your example, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. They really want you to know where he's from. All of his names, you got them right there. Sold a field that he had. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is the second time, Acts 2 was the first time. It's the second time Luke is trying to put to words what he is experiencing, what they were experiencing, not him, what they were experiencing as a church. It was so supernatural and so amazing and the community was so authentic and there were things that were happening that were hard to explain that he said things like, everybody was together. We all had one heart and one soul. And you're like, really? That's, and that's obviously he's led by the Holy Spirit to write this, but he's trying to put a summary on it with the highest words to say, it was incredible. It was Mount Everest. And it's supposed to get you into a place where you're like, I know, and I want to go to a church that's like that. Why can't I find one? It's okay to say that, by the way. It's okay to see the weaknesses in a church. We got them. As I say to you before, if we haven't disappointed you yet, just give us time. We will. That's how it is. But how can we experience this? He's trying to say we were together. There was this amazing thing. Verse 32, nobody said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. How does that happen? It's a pretty strong statement. How should you interpret it? Is this the Lord telling us that we have to do this? Or is this a specific result of their prayer for boldness. I think you got to go there. And honestly, the best way to look at this verse is to ask another question. Who's really doing this? Who's really doing this? The title of our series is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus is doing this. Anytime anybody does something sacrificial or crazy like this, this has to be him. It cannot be done on your own. You'll mess it up. You'll mess it up. This is the work of Jesus. But he's going even further. Verse 33, he's offering and giving great power to the apostles. They're giving their testament. They're talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace is on the whole group. Great power, great grace. What makes it great? Sunday school answer. Jesus. Come on. Cookie and juice was so close. You can't have it now. <laughs> what makes them great is Jesus. He's the one who's given out the goods. He's the one compelling them to do something. So he gives them an example, and we're going to finish with this. And I love, this is the, you're going to introduce, I'm just going to show you his name here. Next slide is uh, Barnabas. Come on, Ken, you got it. Yes, there we go. Barnabas. Just think, I want, I want to introduce you to him. You're going to meet him later. You're going to see him in a couple of other stories. But you want to watch one person who is an example of what God is doing and what it looks like to be bold, to be filled with the Spirit and then to act on that. They asked for boldness to speak, and now we are seeing boldness to act. Boldness in word, boldness in deed. That your Bible may have separated those two sections. They're not supposed to be separated. This is a continuation of the story. This is God still working. So Barnabas, remember his name. He's going to show up. He was a leader in the early church. The spirit filled him. 
Boldness compelled him to give, not time, not words, but personal property to Jesus. Lord, I want to give you this. I believe in you. I would like to give you something. I want to support what you're doing in this first century Jerusalem church here. Many of them did this. That's what the Bible tells us. No arm twisting, no offering shaming. You know, you should give a tithe. Nobody. God's just moving in their hearts, which is why we tell you, just talk to Jesus. Just give to your church. If this is your church, maybe do it, but only if he's telling you, not because I'm telling you. They weren't, they didn't have their arms twisted. The spirit was moving. So Barnabas though, was more than a giver. He did more. And you're going to, I'm going to give you just a couple of little snapshots of his life because his name means encourager, son of encouragement. He was that since he encouraged the church as it was growing. But such a cool story about Barnabas. We'll finish with this. Everybody knows Paul. You may know what Paul was doing before he became a Christian. Killing Christians. Well, that's a pretty good testimony. Yeah, I was killing you all. And then I decided to follow Jesus. Everybody be like, <laughs> but that's what he's doing. And Jesus came and knocked him, literally knocked him off of a horse, blinded him and called to him. And he became the guy that wrote most of the New Testament with the Holy Spirit. This was the interesting part though. So Paul had been killing Christians. Now he loves them, wants to follow Word reaches the other guys, like the guys that have been walking with Jesus, Peter, John, all of them. And they're like, hey, Paul has become a follower of Jesus. They're like, no, just straight up. No, no, he wants to meet with you. No, he killed, he, no, it's no way it's true. And this plays out in the book of Acts where Paul is trying to meet with the disciples. He's trying to say, this is a real thing that's happening in my life. And the disciples are saying, no, no, no. We don't believe you. You know who did believe him? Barnabas. Barnabas said, I'll go. Filled with the spirit, boldness, stepped forward and said, I'll go meet with him. Goes and meets Paul. And usually we think it's Paul and Barnabas. It was actually Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas was mentoring Paul first. He goes and meets him and he says, well, you're the real deal, aren't you? I'll stand with you. I'll introduce you to them. Brings Paul to the original, the OG disciples, okay? Brings them in and says, he's the real deal and he is my brother. They're like, okay. What do you have to say, Paul? That is phenomenal. Because that kind of love, that kind of boldness, and you know, Barnabas is going to do this again with Paul. They're going to have a missionary journey. It's Paul, Barnabas, and this guy named John Mark. He's young. He's going to feel like, yeah, I don't know if I can do this. And he's going to quit halfway through the missionary journey. He leaves them. Later, he changes his mind. He wants to come back. And Paul says, no to that quitter. You know what Barnabas said? Mm, I'm going to go with him. Why? Spirit was filling him. He was bold and he was long suffering with people. And he came alongside immature people. And he said, I'll stand with you. I'll be your guy. I love that about Barnabas. So what do we do with it? Simple. One 
Say, Lord, your hand and your plan, I trust it. Two, I need to be bold and not that kind of bold. I need this kind of bold. Third, this, Jesus, you can have all of me. Tomorrow, when you swing your legs off the side of the bed to wake up on a Monday, when your feet hit the floor, I want you to practice. And even if it's quiet under your breath, I want you to say, Jesus, you can have all of me today. All of me. Every conversation, my thought life, what I watch, how I spend my money, who I talk to, what I say to them, what I don't say to that driver that cuts me off, like all that. You can have all of me today. Lord, I'm ordinary and I'm common, but you are extraordinary, Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's all we got. He's the great one. We just carry him around and hopefully introduce him to other people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just Mount Everest moments in scripture that caused me to say, ah, I really want to be there, Lord. Can you help me get there? And Lord, as I even reflected this week, and Lord, I think we have a growth edge here at Pleasant Valley. I, have, I know it's true of my own life when I've talked to other staff members and the board, asking them, Lord, what are, where can we grow? Two things always come up that we would be deep in our discipleship of Jesus following him and two, that we would learn to speak the love of God to other people. Lord, that's our growth edge. So we need your help. Uh, thank you, God, for examples like Barnabas. Um, I, man, he just was such a resilient, kind, long-suffering dude. <laughs> just amazing person that we're so thankful that he's in this book that we can watch it happen. And Lord, it seemed to be happening in so many of the lives of the people there. So thank you, God, that it's, you call us to that same boldness, that same supernatural experience of your grace, your great grace and your great power. Lord, as we just sing once more, uh, would you do you? Would you do what you do best? Um, I maintain that the greatest miracle in the world, the greatest sign in the world is when you change a human heart. So healings are great. All these things would be amazing, but the greatest, Lord, is when you change a human heart. And so move through the room right now. And Lord, you speak and you do what you do best. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.